Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Tony Jones is in the building and we're going to talk about something that we have affectionately dubbed the Nick Batum All-Stars. The guys that come into this season were in some way, shape, or form seemingly written off by the basketball commentariat at large. And some of these guys are going to be star players that maybe weren't getting the respect that they so richly deserved coming into this season. Some of them are just going to be guys that we thought were done and frankly are not done. So Nick Batum is the name that stands out there most. But before we talk about them, I do want to start on Rudy Gobert because the whole Rudy Gobert experience to me is very fascinating and nobody is closer to the Rudy Gobert experience that doesn't play for the Utah Jazz or works for the Utah Jazz than Tony Jones. So, Tony, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you. First of all, thank you for having me on. Listen, I I feel like I'm no longer a guest on your podcast. Like, I just feel like I'm just, you know, I'm at home. Like, I can kick my feet up and all that stuff. That's what I want. I, I I want you to hold the microphone in your hand. I want you to put those feet up on your desk, and I just want you to, I want you to feel relaxed as we talk uh, about Rudy Gobert, and hopefully, hopefully you don't get yourself in trouble with anything you say. Well, I mean, you know, that's the thing. Like, I I, I felt like, you know, when you when you moved to Australia, I was I was a little worried that these things would stop, and then. You nah. you would just text me and be like podcast and be like yes podcast let's, let's do, do it, it. <laughs> so you know definitely um, definitely glad one day you got to come on my podcast I'm I'm I, in you don't have to tell me twice whenever whenever you need me I'm there you know see I'm I'm serious like one day that's that's what's gonna have to happen but you know I'm glad that um. I'm glad that we're doing this, and yes, let's let's talk about Rudy Gobert. What 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 do we want to know about Mr. Gobert? Because I thought before today, and obviously today is Sunday. I thought before today that he was running away with the Defensive Player of the Year award, and then today <laughs> happened. Today happened. Uh, I, I would not go as far as running away with the Defensive Player of the Year award. I thought I he was he's... running away. I thought it was a, a significant gap between him and anybody else. So. I totally understand why you would say that. They're top five in defense coming into today. They're a really, really good team, Utah. They are arguably playing better before today than anybody in the NBA. Just point blank period, especially now that the Lakers have hit like a bit of a, a bit of a malaise. Uh, having said that, I'm still taking Anthony Davis for defensive player of the year because they have the number one defense and he's the one that keys the number one defense in the NBA and he's by far the most versatile defender in the NBA. Rudy, I think, is a reasonable, like, honestly, probably would be second for me right now. Miles Turner has a case, a sneaky case that I've been advocating as much as I can. Uh, Larry Nance would probably be in my top five right now. Uh, He is the whole reason that the Cavs have a reasonable defensive team right now, Uh, a top 10 defense, but I digress nonetheless. Rudy Gobert has been... Very, very good for the Utah Jazz this year. And I thought that Utah's games this week were kind of a perfect encapsulation of the Rudy Gobert experience. Against Dallas, 
he was the reason that they just completely and utterly annihilated the Mavericks in both of those games. And I watched the first one close because I bet on Dallas because Utah was without Donovan Mitchell, was without Derek Favors, and Dallas was getting back. Dorian Finney-Smith was getting back Dwight Powell. I thought that they'd take that energy and catch Utah on the back end of a back-to-back and be uh, kind of run away with that game. And that absolutely 100% was the wrong side to be on. And in large part, it was because of the incredible gravity that Rudy Gobert holds as a pick-and-roll offensive threat. He just completely obliterated Kristaps Porzingis in that in those two games. Like, utterly obliterated him. Like, wiped him off the face of the earth uh, on both ends. He averaged 23 points and 16 rebounds. He had, like, three blocks. He had a couple of steals. He was everything that people who are Jazz fans and that yell from the rooftops about Rudy Gobert, he was everything in those two games that people say about Rudy being, like, a top 12 impact player in the NBA. You'll hear sometimes. In this game today against Denver... Nikola Jokic made him look like a parking cone on defense. And Nikola Jokic does that to a lot of people because he is, for my money, now the best center in the NBA. I would take him over Joel Embiid, even though I know that Joel Embiid has a very real MVP case himself. Jokic dropped 47 on Rudy Gobert's head today, though. And it was unbelievable. And look, like Denver did a good job of getting switches. Denver did a good job of uh, getting him away from Gobert where they could. But a lot of that came on Rudy. And it's just hard, I think, to try and figure out what Utah's ceiling is with Rudy Gobert making, you know, going forward $40 million a year because he has a lot of these matchups where he is a genuinely elite, unstoppable player. And then a lot of these matchups where you can really catch him. And I'm trying to kind of navigate my feelings on that and navigate my feelings on like that contract that he signed and try to figure out how valuable is Rudy Gobert. I I really, he might be the player that I struggle to value most in the NBA because I see all of the positives. I see how incredible he is. And there are some very distinct negatives that cause him real issues in important matchups and in important moments. So Tony, I I will just give you the floor. I, I, I kind of spoke a lot there and threw a lot at you. I just want to hear kind of where where you are on this. Okay, there's a lot to unpack. So I'm going to start by starting with the contract. And um, here's, here's the thing about the contract. It doesn't matter whether that contract was $200 million, $228 million, $150 million, $178 million. It, like, it the number of the contract, wherever it came in at, it doesn't matter because wherever that contract came at, um, the Jazz are going to be uh, um, over the salary cap into the luxury tax. So the dollar figure, it just doesn't, it just kind of doesn't matter if that makes sense. Um, so I, I totally understand what you're saying there. I, the only place that I would push back a little bit is in the tradeability of such a contract. Like if it was $150 million, there's no circumstance where that deal, like if he only had uh, 
150 million left on it. There's no circumstance where that deal, in my opinion, barring injury, is ever a negative asset. By the time 2024 rolls around and Rudy Gobert has $90 million for two years left on that deal, there is a chance that that's like a real net negative value contract. As hard as Rudy Gobert works and is in shape as that dude is, and he deserves a lot of credit because there are few players in the NBA who do work as hard as he does to stay in playing condition. Well, that's what the Jazz are betting that. 32-year-old Rudy, 33-year-old Rudy Gobert is still going to be uh, a really good player. And yeah. and I'm not even saying it's a negative deal. And, uh, I'm sorry. And, I keep interrupting. But I don't even think it's a negative deal. I'm I'm just struggling to figure out the downside of it. And I think that there it's a deal that has downside if by the time he's 33 years old, uh, he is struggling to like move a little bit more. So I think if you know he's 33 and he's on the last year of his deal and that deal helps donovan mitchell sign his third contract i think the jazz will call call that a win um you know because if 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 you go into free agency right now and if you look at the free if you look at free agency right now there is nobody outside of Kawhi Leonard that's on the market. And we all know that yeah. Kawhi Leonard is not really on the market. So you've had an entire NBA basically gear up for the summer of 2021 because the expectation was there was going to be Giannis Antetokounmpo on the market, um, Paul George possibly on the market, Rudy Gobert possibly on the market. There were so many guys that were supposed to be on the market, and now none of them was on the market. So imagine Plus all all of the restricted guys from that 2017 draft class too, like Jason right. Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, etc. Right. So imagine if Rudy Gobert was on the market as an unrestricted free agent, um, and that's why t- to me the the contract doesn't matter. The Jazz had to get that done, and they had to they you know for 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 the Jazz, Rudy Gobert's worth. T- $200 million. He is he is their defensive yeah. system. He is the reason he is one of the biggest reasons why the Jazz are 15 and 5 right now. Um, he's playing at a career level um, despite what you know, what Sunday Sunday afternoon may have bore against Nikola Jokic. Um, you know, so he's, you know, he's he's he outplayed his last contract and he's playing really well uh, heading into to, uh, to this contract. So, you know, I I, I don't think the Jazz are losing sleep over over that contract at all. Uh, and the other thing is, if you lose Rudy Gobert, you're definitely not getting Donovan Mitchell back for a third contract, or your ch- or at the very least, your chances are se- severely uh, damaged. And you know, if the Jazz, if this 15 and starters five starters real, and the Jazz are actually one of the top three teams uh, in the Western Conference. Uh, and you know, they can improve on that next year and so on and so on. Then you increase the chance of keeping Donovan Mitchell for your, for your third contract for his third contract. And, and this is, you know, all of this is big picture stuff. Um, you know, so, you know, to me, it's the, the, you know, you're paying Rudy Gobert $200 million and, you know, he's, to me, he's worth, you know, every penny of that to the jazz because of what, what he means to their franchise as a whole. Um, now in terms of Sunday, 
I, you know, I think that there's some context that goes into to what Jokic was 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 able to do. Um, Rudy wasn't on him. You know, he was. You know, he was. He was his primary defender uh, for a lot of possessions, but he wasn't his primary defender for a lot of possessions as well. As well, true, absolutely and true. That was now, but that opens another can of worms. Okay, so Quinn Snyder. The, the whole jazz defensive system is we want to funnel everybody to Rudy Gobert and Rudy Gobert is at the basket. So, you know, Quinn Snyder went into Sunday saying we don't want Rudy chasing Jokic all over all over the perimeter. So we'll start him on Paul Millsap and we'll start Boyan Bogdanovich on Jokic. Um, the problem is that that completely backfired. Jokic got way too comfortable and then before you know it he had 30 at halftime um and then you know by that time you know you're just not going to shut his water off you know when he's rolling like that and i think that i I think that there was some thought that okay Jokic tends to float in some games uh even if he's you know a guy that can probably score on every possession and it just didn't happen like that on Sunday. He, it, you know, he kind of smelled blood and water from the very first possession, was aggressive from the very first possession, and he just got way too comfortable. And by the time, you know, by the time he got comfortable, there was just nothing that the Jazz could have done. Now, the conversation is, okay, you know, do you, you know, if Rudy Gobert is your defensive player of the year, then you should be able to put him on Jokic and uh, um, then you should be able to, and he should be able to affect uh, Jokic to the point where, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's at least a wash. The issue with that is if Rudy Gobert is chasing Jokic all over all over the floor, then he's not at the basket to help with journal, with dribble pen, penetration, and that's something that the Jazz that's a question that the Jazz are going to have to answer for themselves um, as as the year goes on, um, because you know there's a very real chance that these two teams meet in the playoffs. You know, so it it's it's. It's it's definitely a layered conversation uh, on what happened on 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 Sunday night uh, or on Sunday afternoon. Um, I, I I think that strategically um, that that plays into to to what we see. Um, but you know, I I also think that Jokic is is just he's just evolved into a hell of a player, and he's at. A point right now where he's playing at an NBA uh, at an MVP level, um, you know. So, so what do you do with that if you're Quinn Snyder? Do you try to stay with the normal scheme and keep Gobert next to the basket? Um, because if you want to do that against Denver in a, in a in a postseason series, then that probably means you're going to have to go a lot with Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert on on the floor at the same time. And if you want to do that. Um, and if you want to do that, then, you know, the, the question then is, you know, how effective offensively are you going to be? Um, it's, it's a fascinating thing with the Jazz because, you know, there's Serge Ibaka, there's, there's Christoph Sprazingas, there are guys who can space, there are guys who can space Gobert out to the three-point line, but they don't have anywhere near, 
you know, the passing acumen, the off the dribble acumen, the ability to score that Jokic does. So it it's like a threefold thing uh, when the Jazz see Denver. Well, and in the case of a Jazz Denver series, I would imagine that you're going to see favors for Royce O'Neal in that starting lineup, just because. Royce brings most of his value on the defensive end. Not to say that Royce isn't a good three-point shooter now and uh, has continued to evolve his game as a driver. And I think he's like a very like quality NBA starting like fifth option, right? But if you have your guy out there for defense, you're going to want to put favors out there in order to take that tough Jokic matchup if you don't want to put Gobert on Jokic which it's it is a bit tough for me to wrap my head around the defensive player of the year conversation where Rudy probably is like the best help defender uh at the basket in the NBA just point blank but can your defensive player of the year really be the guy that you don't want to put on Nikola Jokic when he's putting 30 on you in the first half right like I, I get I get the reasons for it for why you would do it that way, but it's it's tough for me to wrap my head around in terms of the overall value of what that person is bringing to the table. If you can't take on the tough on ball assignment, I think that we've gotten to the point a little bit where I don't want to say we're underrating on ball defense because I don't think that that's necessarily the case, but. I still think that Rudy needs to be held accountable for his on-ball acumen at the end of the day, even though he is the best defender in the league at the basket. Well, I think uh, I think that um, I agree with you a little bit. Here's where I disagree. Uh, I think, and, 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 and jazz writer Andy Larson said this on Twitter today, and I agree with him completely. It's less we don't want, it's, it's not we're hiding Rudy Gobert from Jokic. If you're asking Quinn Snyder, it's we're keeping Gobert next to the basket so we can execute our defensive scheme yeah. the way we normally do. And and there's a difference to that. There, you know, I totally not, agree with that. Yeah, there, you're 100% right. It's not like they're saying, okay, we don't think you can guard Nikola Jokic. We're going to put you on Paul Millsap. That's, that's not what the Jazz are saying. That's not what they're doing. They're like, okay, we want... You know, when Jamal Murray beats Mike Conley or if Gary Harris beats uh, Donovan Mitchell or if Will Barton beats Joe Ingles or Bojan Bogdanovic, we want them to run into Rudy. And he they won't run into Rudy if Rudy is at the top of the key or at the three-point line, you know, guarding Jokic. But to me, so, that's just – and, like, to me, that's just – you're worried about – the second, third, fourth option at the expense of the first option. And as we know in the NBA, the first option shutting that guy down or at least slowing down uh, the tap a little bit of that running faucet, that's the most important thing you can do, I feel like. And Mm -hmm. I understand the logic behind it, but I just, I, I don't love the... I don't love the choice to do that. I well, guess. they they did it against Dallas a little bit. Like they put Boyan Bogdanovich on Porzingis, and they said, "Here, if you if Kristaps can post well, us up and hit mid range twos, Porzingis we'll is different though because Porzingis that's, can't post. That's, right. Like that's but the that, thing. That's where 
the miscalculation came in because Porzingis and Jokic are just two very, very, very different animals. Yeah. I happen to think that at some point, you know, Rudy's just going to have to find a way to get stops on, on Jokic. Yeah. And if, if, you know, but, you know, the Jazz have gotten away with, they've been able to beat this Denver team with Jokic going off at 35 and they just figure out a way to stop everybody else. They did it two weeks ago. Like, Jokic had 35. He was dominant. He was every bit of Nikola Jokic. The Jazz still won the game because they shut down Jamal Murray, and they shut down Will Barton. So, you know, it. it tonight was an extreme example. Um, you know, Jokic isn't going to score 47 against the Jazz very often. You know, um, you know nobody, nobody, nobody for the next 50 years – is going to go 15 for 17 from three-point range in a, in a half. I mean, that just doesn't happen, you know. And and the, the Jazz got back into the game in the second half. I mean, it was a 99-91 game um, early in the fourth quarter. So, you know, I, I just I, – I think that, you know, you don't want to overreact to, to one game, but at the same time you want to take – you want to take things away from that one game and and try to apply it for when it really matters. Yeah, and I get that. And I think that on some level, it's reasonable to think that there's like an overreaction at play here, uh, especially on like in regard to what I'm saying, right? Rudy Gobert has been very, very ridiculously good this season. Like just a monster on the defensive glass. He's been very good on the offensive glass as well, creating second chance opportunities. He's been really good as a pick and roll threat offensively. He's been a legitimately, like I would say he is probably pretty clearly right now, the third team all NBA center, right? Like if you were naming three of them, you would say he's the third team guy behind Jokic and Embiid. And that's super valuable. I don't mean to diminish that at all. I just struggle a little bit i think with the whole package of skills the it's it's like having a guy who is elite at like three things and then who is like he is probably a average to slightly below average defender out in space on an island uh, against guards Jokic's of the world centers etc when you're so overwhelmingly good at the basket it almost doesn't matter but in playoff series it does matter it's it's such a tricky nuanced conversation with Gobert that I really don't know how I would feel about building around him long term I think the Jazz had to do it like you're you're 100% right the Jazz had to give him the deal that they gave him like no question that doesn't mean it doesn't have downside three years from now if this like if he for some reason was to get hurt and then you'd see his athleticism get sapped by like 15% long term it's a it, it's tough it's tough for me to navigate what i think of gobert long term and what i think of him as like a a building block piece who essentially has to be the second best player on this jazz team for them to win a title like rudy gobert has to be the number 2 behind donovan mitchell to win a title i think he can like maybe he is the line of like how good a number two has to be for a team to win a championship. Like that line is really high as we've seen over the course of the past few years outside of the Toronto, uh, like semi aberration due to the injuries of golden state, not to take anything away from Toronto. You play who is in front of you and they absolutely deserve that title. 
but they probably don't win that title if Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant don't get hurt uh, from a team building perspective. So you have to have two top 15 guys in the way the NBA is going. You almost have to have two top 15 guys who are versatile. And I'm just intrigued by seeing where this jazz team goes over the next two to three years. Maybe they are just like one of the two best or three best teams in the West now with the Clippers and Lakers. And we'll see that bear itself out over the course of this year. Maybe, maybe my concerns are just like kind of unfounded on this. Well, I I think, uh, I, I think the I think that Rudy Gobert's playoff performances um, um, have been talked about pretty dishonestly. Yeah. To to be fair, um, you know, for example, um, uh, two years ago against Houston, you know, we were like, you know, Twitter NBA Twitter was like, oh, Rudy Gobert is being played off the floor, yada yada yada, and that was bullshit. Rudy Gobert was Utah's best player in that series by a country mile by a million miles and he was literally the only reason that the jazz were even competitive in some of those games um i last year was for me it was it was actually it was actually funny because in real time i was like wow you know rudy's playing really well on offense i mean rudy's playing really well offensively but man he's really struggling against uh Jokic defensively and then i saw how much Jokic eviscerated the Clippers and how many issues he was giving the Lakers. And I was like, oh, my word, Rudy Gobert actually played him pretty well in hindsight. Um, I, you know, I don't know what the stats bear in in playoff situations, but, you know, uh, all of the stats in, you know, regular season situations say that Rudy Gobert defends pretty well in space or he has defended pretty well in space. And, you know, maybe that's, you know, when you're in the regular season and you're defending, you know, Orlando's guards one night and, you know, uh, Minnesota's guards another night, you know, that can skew that can skew the numbers a little bit. Um, but he was he, but, you know, he was legitimately good in the nug in the nugget series last year it was just that Jokic was playing you know all world basketball yeah we, we just so, might not have realized in real time that Nikola Jokic no, we did. was turning we did. into like a very clear top six player in the NBA like he's been this year and and so I, I think that the discourse around Gobert especially on social media has been is, has 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 been pretty dishonest I think that he's had issues in two series and I think that was the 2017 Golden State series um and um I think that first 2018 series against Houston that first series against Houston you know like the Oklahoma the Oklahoma City series he was amazing but then again he was playing against Steven Adams you know um Houston spaced him out in the second round that year, um, 2019, he was really good against Houston. The Jazz just couldn't score; like they couldn't score at all. But their defense was the only reason that they were even that they were even hang- that they were even competitive in some of those games. And it was still a five game series. Um, last year, he was good against the Nuggets. You know, so he's been good in the playoffs. And you know, I, I you know, I, I think um, I think that. You know, narratives are hard to to overcome, Um, you know, but I have no reason to think that, you know, I have no reason to think that Gobert uh, isn't going to be good in this postseason. Um, But now having said that, (laughs) 
if, you know, at some point, you know, Rudy's got to look at Jokic and he's got to be like, okay, I have to figure out a way to stop this guy. And, or I have to figure out a way to, to generate some, like, it doesn't matter if, if Jokic goes for 40, if it's a one possession game down the stretch and, and Rudy gets to stop that matters. And that's what didn't happen. And uh, that's what didn't happen against, uh, against Denver uh, a couple of months ago in the bubble. And and that's what like the, that's what's a difficult part of this conversation is that the jazz were genuinely one basket away from beating Denver in a playoff series. And if that hook shot from Nikola Jokic doesn't fall, then this is an entirely different conversation. The problem is that it fell and it happened on Rudy. So, it's hard to separate those two things from one another. It is. And, but you still have to separate it if you're being honest with yourself. Yeah. And that, and that shot, that shot was probably a, that was a sub 50, 50 shot for Nikola Jokic, even in that spot, even as good as Nikola Jokic has been all, all of it. That is still probably a sub 50, 50 shot for Nikola Jokic. And he made it. So, Rudy's next evolution is, you know, when he runs into one of these matchups, you know, if he wants to discourse to 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 go back to being honest, then he's he's just got to do it. And then the other and, the other matchup that's going to be interesting for him is the Lakers because figuring out what to do with Anthony Davis is going to be very interesting for Rudy because well, those, I would expect I would expect if the Jazz see the Lakers in a series, I would, I expect them to start Derek Favors along with Rudy Gobert. Probably will, but then you're probably going Anthony or Favors on Davis, hoping everyone filters toward Rudy. If I'm the Lakers in that scenario, I start LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Schroeder, Kentavious Caldwell Pope, and probably Wes Matthews and just try to like overwhelm them with shooting. And then dare you to put Gobert on Anthony Davis because if you're going to put Gobert on one of Wes Matthews or KCP I mean those guys are 40% well, what, shooters on then open what you do is you just then what you do is you go back to your regular starting lineup I have a question for you that's going to sound really crazy and like is like seriously is legitimately going to sound nuts but uh no, seeing what Rudy Gobert goes through guarding Nikola Jokic is Anthony Davis even a work is is would it be worse on him? <laughs> well, Anthony Davis is a worse offensive player than Nikola Jokic. It wouldn't be worse I mean, on him, but so I, I would, I would, I would just say, okay, if you're gonna adjust to that, then you know I'm going with my regular starting lineup: Royce O'Neal, you can guard LeBron, and Rudy, you can guard AD. Yeah, I think AD is gonna. I think an AD LeBron pick and roll, particularly, is probably gonna cause some problems there. Probably, but it causes problems for everybody. So you just got to deal with it. And, and listen, none of this stuff happens in a vacuum. One of the reasons why the Jazz shoot so many threes is because they know right now they don't have Kawhi Leonard. They don't have LeBron James. They don't have Anthony Davis. They don't have Nikola Jokic. Their ability to just shoot from the, their ability to surround the three-point line, shoot the basketball, play with pace, get a lot of threes up. That's their equalizer to not having those guys. Yep. And the numbers are crazy. Like they're taking almost half their shots from behind the three point line. I love it. Right. It's great. 
So they're like, okay, if Anthony Davis is beating us, or if Anthony Davis is is making a bunch of long twos, then we're going to come down and we're going to shoot threes. If Luka Doncic is getting into the teeth of our defense and he's making a bunch of floaters and we're making a bunch of three-pointers, who's winning that possession? You know, as good as Nikola Jokic was against the Jazz on Sunday, you know, his 47 points didn't beat the Jazz. It was the 15 three-pointers out of 17 that they made in the first half that beat the Jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like Compazzo was great. Will Barton was great. You know, like you're not going to get... And Compazzo had his one good career game. (laughs) Had his first good career game. That was great. Oh, Facundo Compazzo. He's been like sneaky okay. Like, it's not like he's been a disaster. He's just like a ball. Well, they put the ball in his hands on Sunday. That was the first time that I felt like that was the first time this year that Denver actually put the ball in his hands and wasn't playing them off the ball. And he was he was terrific. Yeah, that's what he is. He's a backup point guard. It's a bit of a weird situation for him because I thought he should have went somewhere that didn't have a good backup guard that would just allow him to be the second point guard who has the ball in his hands for 15 minutes a night. But they have Monte Morris, who is really good. So it wasn't it wasn't a clear fit to me when he came to Denver. But he's like I don't think he's been bad. I think he's just been a ball mover for them. That teams right. like have to semi respect from three. Right. But that's not what that's not what he's great at. Like I think we haven't seen up until Sunday, we hadn't really seen what makes Compazzo as uh as heralded as he was overseas. Well, I mean, we saw it Sunday. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he got into the team of defense. He made plays. He made shots. But, you know, I, I think I think with the Jazz are, the way they're composed, the way um, the way their roster is set up, I mean, they're just, if they want to make a run in the playoffs, they're going to have to get stops, and they're going to have to make a lot of threes. And then yeah. you see... And this this all changes when Denver goes out and gets Bradley Beal. <laughs> so, would you trade Michael Porter Jr. for Bradley Beal? Wouldn't think twice. I like look. You go back and look at Bradley Beal's playoff performances, even before the like all world leap that he's made as a scorer. I mean, he averaged twenty five in a playoff series uh, for the Washington Wizards at one point on like plus efficiency. They had those two playoff series back in twenty seventeen, uh, where they played. Who they play? It was uh, one of them was Atlanta because it was like the uh, it was like the good uh, like five seed Atlanta team that people were a little bit excited about, and he was really in that series. And then they took Boston to seven the next series and he was really good in that series too so man i am trading michael porter jr twice and not even i'm going to pack his bags man i'm right there like i am he's gone and i would give up more than michael porter (laughs) would you go to the airport and make sure he gets on the plane and strapped in uh yes period okay yeah I'm, i'm with you if my if 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 gary harris you know, two or three first round picks and Michael Porter Jr. can get get me Bradley Beal. I'm doing it. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah, and it's not even a statement on me thinking Michael Porter is like bad at basketball. I think Porter's great. Like he's turning really, really good. I think he's going to be really, really good. Michael Porter's ceiling is top fifteen player in the league, something like that. Bradley Beal is a top fifteen player in the league right now, I think. And I know people can say 
oh but he doesn't defend he doesn't defend i think if you put him in a situation where he has to give a shit on defense he's going to be just fine there's there's nothing about bradley beal that says he can't defend other than the fact that he seems not to really care that much about defending right now there's no need for it right they're gonna lose most nights anyway right right so I, i totally get it i understand the hesitancy behind not wanting to give up the guy that you drafted and that you're developing and that you nailed in the draft. I mean, they took Porter at 13 uh, when it was seen as a risk to do so. Uh, Look, we can talk about Michael Porter Jr.'s talent. I had him at like number five or six on my board in that draft, but it was a risk to take Michael Porter Jr. at number 14 in the draft. And they did it and they nailed it. And it can be hard to give up something that you have put that much sweat equity into. But man, Bradley Beal is... Bradley Beal's unbelievable. He's so good. Well, it, the thing about it is, it, it it goes into it basically delves into the area of of asking the question like, "Hey, what are we doing?" Right? Like, yeah, there's the discourse. You know, Michael Porter Jr. is great, but what are we doing? This is Bradley Beal that we're talking about. You know, like, what are we doing? Why are we even? Why are we even having this discussion? I was trying to figure out earlier, if you're Utah, is there any way you can get involved in the Bradley Beal conversation? There is zero way. The only way you could is if you gave up your entire draft, much like Brooklyn did. They don't have a draft to give up. Well, they, they could give up all of their picks into the future. Like, they could give up four firsts and three pick swaps. I mean, yeah. There, there's no way because if I don't, you're Washington, if you're Washington, you're just asking for for Donovan Mitchell, and then the answer is no. Right. I, I don't think there's any way that the Jazz organization would ever do it, just because it goes against everything that like the Jazz organization has been about in regard to like sustainability and continued success, like not having a dip long term and. A Bradley Beal trade is, by nature, risky because he's only signed for a year and a half longer. Uh, I I would be stunned if the Utah Jazz would do it. And I don't think that, like, if Denver offers Michael Porter Jr., then the Jazz can't top the offer at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I just, you know, I mean, they're they're not going to, they, they can't get involved in that. Um, just because, you know, it's like, okay, you're giving us Donovan Mitchell, you're giving us Rudy Gobert, you know, and, you know, somebody asked me on Twitter about that and so what would it take? Well, it would take something the Jazz will never do. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no way they're giving up Donovan Mitchell for Bradley Beal. And I think Donovan Mitchell's contract is poison pilled in a real weird way to where it would have to be exceedingly difficult to move Donovan Mitchell and said deal anyway even if they lost their mind and decided to do so. Uh, Let's take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to get into the Nick Batum All-Stars. Oh, this is going to be fun. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. 
some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot-blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash gametheory. All right, and we are back. This was the whole crux of the idea that Tony and I wanted to come and podcast about. We didn't really plan on doing 40 minutes on Rudy Gobert. We wanted to talk about these guys that in some regard have been written off over the course of their careers uh, for one reason or another. And Nick Batum is the guy who has been completely written off. And I don't even think that it's wrong to have written off Nick Batum, to be honest, because he was not very good for the Charlotte Hornets over the course of the last two years. Realistically, he was like, a passable starter back in 2018 in 2019 he was pretty bad and then last year he was in the 20 games he played he did not look particularly playable in an nba game he is now like a definite starting basketball player for the los angeles clippers like he is a starting quality player period and that is that is stunning on some level right so my question is was nick playing possum did nick just not care last year did nick not give the best effort because he knew that like an opportunity like this would be coming to try and join a contender i mean maybe he just checked out listen how do you go from looking washed to looking basically 90 percent of your old self because that's what nick looks like right now he looks 90 percent of his prime and he he genuinely did look pretty washed, washed. by the end so how do you explain that? How do you go from looking washed to playing basically, you know, 85 to 90% of where you were when you were a borderline all-star? I, it, it, some of it has to be effort related. Like, I, I don't, 
like I, I, he did deal with some injuries in Charlotte, like, but nothing so serious that it was like totally sapping his ability, right? Like, I mean, he played 70 and 77 games the first two years he was there. He had like a little injury in 2018, if I remember correctly, but he came right back and played 75 games in 2019. Yeah. All I know is that the fit that he has with the Clippers, I mean, it might win him a championship. I mean, he's, it's a, been a perfect fit. Like, he's, he's defending at a terrific level. He's shooting the basketball well. Um, he's a ball mover. He's galvanized that lineup. Like, he's given, you know, one of the Clippers' major weaknesses um, last year was that they didn't have any above average. Kawhi's gotten to a, he's become a, an above average passer. Yep. But they didn't have any dynamic passing in that offense. That's exactly and, what I wanted to mention too. I'm so glad you brought it up. Yeah, and and Nick Batoon has, you know, just added this dynamic passer who can make, you know, primary and secondary reads and you know, he's playing the four and he's like the fourth option. Like it's just it's it's just been an insane fit uh for, for what the Clippers have wanted. It's just a home run. Like in so many ways, I cannot believe that this is working out as well as it has. He is the perfect wing for playing in between Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And because he's like a big dude, like Nick Batum is like six foot eight and has long arms. Like you can play him three and four pretty easy and you can play him next to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and utilize these small lineups that have a ton of shooting, a ton of ball movement, a ton of spacing. Like, th- this Clippers offense is third in the NBA for a reason, and it's third while maintaining a top 10 defense because Nick Batum exists. Like, Luke Kennard would probably be their starting, their other starting wing in this case, right? Luke Kennard is really bad on defense. Like, they, they have not really been able to stop teams when Luke Kennard has been on the court. He's been really good offensively and been everything that the Clippers hoped for when they dealt Landry Shamit for him. He's been that secondary ball handler when he's been on the court. He's been a great cutter. He's been an incredible shooter, as we expected. But you put him on the court, and you have a target for teams in pick and roll to try and get switches against. And so right. far, Nick Batum, being what he's been, it just kind of changes things for the Clippers in a very real way that is... Really surprising. It's really, really surprising to me. I am, I loved Nick Batum when he played for Portland in that first year in Charlotte. I thought like that five-year, $120 million deal was an overpay, but not like a disastrous one. But man, I never saw this coming. I never saw him getting to the point that he is now. Well, I mean, he was, a, he was like a throw-in, right? Like he's... Like okay, there's there's interest on the market. He's gonna go, you know, he's gonna go to a, to a contender. He's gonna play 15 minutes a night, and then boom, voila, you know, you you get him uh, on the Clippers, and he becomes this indispensable um, this in, this indispensable roster entity. Like it's it's really a terrific story. Um, I mean, you know, he's playing 29 minutes a night. He's you know, he's at 10 points a game, five rebounds, you know, two or three assists, a steal. Um, you know, he's not turning. He's taking care of the ball. Uh, he's got the lowest turnover rate in the starting five. Like, it's ridiculous. 
like it's ridiculous how how good how how good he's been um and you know so that's why i'm just like well i mean you go from looking washed to uh playing being you know one of only two or three guys he's the only he's the only uh um he's the only guy who's in the starting lineup who started 20 games um you know so it's it's what what's the other explanation i really think it has to be like he might have chilled for a little while knowing that he could bide his time and not like wreck his body his assist to turnover rate is 3.7 yeah no he's been great (laughs) like that's insane he has been genuinely great like it's it's bizarre Uh, i i'm not sure i've seen someone go from guy that i thought there was a better chance he would be cut like at the midseason whenever they make a trade in order to shore up the wing position to oh no holy shit he might be the clippers like fourth best player (laughs) he might be the third he might be the third best player like I, i don't i don't get it it's it's unlike anything I've ever seen, and good for Nick Batum, man. Like I'm, I am here for Nick Batum turning himself into an essential piece of a playoff contender. Now we can talk about like, hey, maybe the Clippers aren't quite the 15 and five team that they've been so far, or 16 and five if Nick Batum is your third best player. There might be a conversation to be had there, but you know what? Hasn't mattered so far. And they have been blowing teams out basically over the course of the last two weeks, three weeks, realistically. Like they beat the Kings by 38. They beat Indiana by 32. They beat the Kings again by 25. They beat uh, Oklahoma City by double digits. They beat uh, Orlando by 25. Like they are just murdering teams right now. They, uh, I mean, they've been playing like the best team in the league. Yeah. Over, it's it's over been the them in Utah. It's been them in Utah, and now that you know Utah's finally lost, <laughs> now it's now it's them. That's how that's, those are the breaks. That's how it goes. Um, man, I I can't wait for Tuesday night. You know what Tuesday night is, right? See, like here's the problem when you say you know what Tuesday night is. I don't know what day it is here in Australia. Oh, that's right. Well, you, I'm because... sorry. You're da- you're down under. Don't. Now that's my fault, bro. That's my fault. <laughs> like Tuesday. it says, it says on my computer right now. It's Sunday, eight fifty p.m. I'm like seventy five percent sure it's Monday here because looking at my phone, it says it's Monday. So <laughs> I'm okay. So tu- Tuesday night in the Western Hemisphere. I know they play this... Brooklyn at some point this week. I yes. don't know when. <laughs> they play. T- they play Brooklyn on Tuesday night. It's gonna be great. Brooklyn looks great, and I'm so pumped. I know that they just gave up like a bajillion points to Washington today, but they gave Brooklyn up 147 points in regulation. Love it. Great. <laughs> just terrific, right? Like, give, really give me terrific. all the stock in the Brooklyn Nets. I'm like 100 percent in on this team. It's a pretty. Um, it's a pretty big week for for the Clippers. I mean, it's a, you know, they, um, they've got Brooklyn on, they've got Brooklyn on Tuesday. 
back to they should actually be able to handle a back to back on Wednesday in Cleveland. Uh, but they have Boston on Friday at home, uh, and then they have one, two, three, four, five very winnable games, uh, and then they have the Jazz back to back on February seventeenth and nineteenth. And then they play Brooklyn the next night or two nights. And then later they play too. Brooklyn on February twenty first, which is my birthday. That's a good birthday gift for you. Kids to watch. Brooklyn Clippers, we love it. Nah, nah. I'm, uh, you know, I'm gonna spend it with the with the family. Okay, I'm gonna be watching. I'll be watching. Don't worry. With about the family. It. Yeah, I'll be ignoring the family. Just, <laughs> give my bur- just let me know when you're ready. To, just let me know when you're ready. To sing me, sing me happy birthday. We'll be fine. <laughs> oh my god. So the other Nick Batum All Stars here. I've got I've got a list of five other names here that I want to talk about. Some of them are stars. Some of them are role players. And I think that the guy that made me think about this most is kind of a weird name, but Harrison Barnes has been really good for the Kings this year. And I feel like when people bring up Harrison Barnes, it's mostly like as a player who is like not very good and is just fine. But Harrison Barnes is like a very quality starter. Like Barnes is averaging 17 points six rebounds, three assists this year, shooting 50% from the field, 42 from three, 86 from the line. They have no chance of defending when he's not on the court. They don't really have a chance of defending when he's on the court, but like he takes on tough assignments at least. And they've been six points per hundred possessions better defensively when he's been on the court. The problem is that they're still 117 and a half when he's on the court because holy shit is the Kings defense, just a train wreck, but he's done a really good job of like trying to help these young guys and knocking down shots from the corner and driving when he has to. And he's really improved as a passer like Harrison Barnes. I think I don't want to say he'd be a get for someone because I still think that contract has like a bit of downside. Uh, but you know what? That contract does de-escalate in terms of value. He has two years, thirty-eight million left after this one. I don't know, man. Like that's. I think Harrison Barnes has been great this year, and I would like him to get some respect for it. Well, he's had a really good week. Um, Twenty-six point seven rebounds, five assists. Uh, and, and a road win over Toronto uh, where he shot 60, 61% from the field, 57% from three-point line, made all, all of his free throws, had 21-5-4 and four, uh, and a road win uh, over the Orlando Magic, had a 21-8-7 and seven and a home win over the New York Knicks. Like, he's, he's legitimately uh, been good. I think, you know... It, what you can say about him is he's he's gotten comfortable with who he is you yeah. know he, he's figured he's eliminated the ambiguity to what he is right because when he signed that contract in Dallas you know the pressure was there for him to be a star and he didn't become a star and what it, what he is 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 a high level role player which is borderline where he is bordering on okay he can be an offensive hub um to to what uh to to some you you gotta get you gotta get him back on a contender that's my thing with him you know yeah 
Like, I think he's ready to go to a contender now because I'm really glad you brought the Dallas days because if I remember correctly, he was like top five in the NBA in like percentage of possessions that ended in isolation when he yeah. was with Dallas. And he just wasn't that guy. That wasn't he's, him. He's cut them out. He's at 5% of his possessions ending in isolation now. He's mostly like a spot up transition guy who can occasionally run pick and rolls, can occasionally post like cuts off the ball and makes smart choices like he, he does what you're asking him to do plus does so while being a positive defender for your team i agree man we, we got to get harrison barnes back on a contender like i feel i feel like some team would do well to acquire him like he almost feels like because boston likes to play these weird lineups like putting him in boston would be fun uh yeah putting him Honestly, like Utah kind of has enough of these guys. Like putting him in Utah, I think would fit his skill set. Uh, I'm trying to think like but, of another. You know, I th- I think the ambiguity also was what position was he right? Because yeah, we're like okay, he's a three, he's a three, he's a three, he's a three. No, he's not a three. He's a, he's a he's four. A, he's a four. Yeah, and you know, and and yeah, he can handle some on ball possessions, but. Ideally, you want him to space the floor, make secondary reads. He's re- he's gotten really good at attacking closeouts. Yep, and he's gotten really good at spotting up and making shots. You, you know and where he'd be great. Thinking about this, he'd actually he, be great in Utah, but that's he, neither here nor there. He'd be great in Phoenix. Oh, he'd be he'd be perfect because the, what they're is at the three. What they're essentially doing in Phoenix is they're just like spotting up mikhail and whoever the four is a lot of the time it's cam johnson a lot of the time it's jay crowder they're just spotting those guys up in the corner and then like running high ball screen stuff with one of devin booker chris paul like that would be a perfect role for harrison barnes he's really good defensively he'd fit them lengthwise he'd give them a bit of a uh, a bit more strength and length than what jay crowder does uh jay crowder's tougher obviously and i would love to have jay crowder still on that roster but like that's a that's where he would be kind of a killer i think is in phoenix yeah Yeah, i agree completely the the other guy by the way and this is another nick batum all-star and one that i hadn't thought about until now um have you watched any of the bulls this year so are we talking about laurie marketing i was gonna say Otto porter Oh, well, we've ta- I, I talked, you know, I've been talking about Otto Porter with a couple of my friends. Um, he's He's been really good. Yeah. Like, he's he's basically what he was in Washington again. Somebody should trade for him. He's going to have a nice contract next year. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that you're going to have to overpay Otto Porter next year again. But somebody's going to overpay Otto Porter because the entire league thought that Giannis was going to be a free agent so <laughs> everybody has cap space yeah it's a good point someone might overpay the porter again <laughs> like literally like all of the league is like oh we got cap space because Giannis is going to be a free agent and it's going to be this big frenzy and guess what yeah nobody's on the market so that yeah. money's got to go to somebody yeah auto porter though has been good again he's been good defensively even though again like this is another team in the bulls that have no idea what they're doing defensively and i think that they actually have a reason for it because they have a new coach and the new coach is implementing a scheme like billy donovan's having them play drop coverage and i know that early in the season wendell carter like really struggled with 
you know, trying to figure out where his gaps were and uh, where he needed to be standing in space. Just it, it was it was tough for the Bulls defensively. But Otto Porter's been good this year. Like he's knocking down shots. He's passing the ball. He's still pretty useful defensively. Like not not quite as good as he was, I didn't think, but he's still fine on defense. Uh, someone like Dallas should trade for Otto Porter. Someone like the Suns should trade for Otto Porter. If you, I was going to say, if you were Utah, would you trade for him? But I mean, where are you going to find $28 million at? Yeah, it's it's tough to salary match for Utah because there's no way they can do Clarkson because Clarkson has become like essential to them now, which is... He's become Michael Jordan. A conversation for another time. <laughs> I mean, underrated, a Nick Batum all-star, Jordan Clarkson. Um, I mean, the money would almost have to be like Favors, who, as we've discussed earlier, you kind of need in the West if you're not going to play Rudy on the Stars. It's center. I don't think you want to deal Royce O'Neal for Otto Porter nope. on that Royce, contract. Number one, Royce is been really really good this year number two he's donovan mitchell's best friend yeah that's not happening yeah no that's never gonna happen then um yeah utah doesn't really have it because you're not dealing mike conley because mike conley's been really good too mike conley's been playing at an all-star level so yeah no they they don't really have a way to get auto porter unfortunately unless it's unless he gets bought out because nobody can trade for auto porter because that deal is so large well that's the thing i mean you know and can can we stop with the the notion that some that uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to buy Andre Drummond out, centers are tougher because. But who buys out twenty eight million dollars? Well, they won't be buying out twenty eight. They'll be buying out half the season and hopefully getting two and a half back or so. Yeah, right. Like that'd be I mean, the idea. It, that would be the idea. But do you see that happening? I don't. Like I, I think there's a reasonable chance someone trades for him. Right. I, I wouldn't. I will say that. Like, I would not trade for Andre Drummond. I probably would not. I think someone will. Every every time that he grabs a rebound and he ignores Darius Garland or Colin Sexton looking to push the ball up the floor just so he can dribble the ball up the floor himself. I love it. (laughs) I do not love it. Feed it to my veins. Don't feed it to my veins. (laughs) Give the ball to a guard and run the floor, Andre. No, seriously, give the ball to Larry Nance. Like, I, I don't I don't care. <laughs> I don't care who it is, not you, Andre. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, those guys got to be in hell right now. Like, come on, I'm ready to push the basketball, Andre. Like, nope, walks the ball up the floor, starts some dribble action, tries to make a decision, turn over, lay up the other way. It's like that clip. Do you remember that uh, video Blake Griffin made? Uh, where he's making fun of Austin Rivers. He's like, no, I got it. I got it. And he's like, throws the ball like up, up off the backboard. Yeah. That's that's what the Cavs dealing with Andre Drummond is like right now. (laughs) Like they've got to be like, what is it going to take? Like coach, can you tell this guy to throw an outlet pass, please? We're going to give him the ball in a half court. Like you've, you've, you've really got to like actually give Andre Drummond the ball to pacify him in the half court like you've got to give him the ball and you've got to clear out otherwise no telling what's gonna happen (laughs) i i just i don't get it 
I don't get it. I do get it, but uh, Andre Drummond, not a uh, Nick Batum all-star, despite the numbers that he's posting. Uh, not not for me. Uh, one guy that is a Nick Batum all-star is Andrew Wiggins. You wanted to talk about Andrew Wiggins, and I think he fits this because he's reinventing himself in the way that we hoped he would reinvent himself thus far in Golden State. He's still averaging 18 points a night. But what he's doing, he's knocking down shots from distance, and he's actually become an active help defender, which is something that seems crazy. Uh, Seemed crazy when he was in Minnesota, but is accurate now. Like, Draymond Green is going to yell at him until he becomes an active help defender, and he has. He's been uh, a terrific defender. Like, he's had just really, really a good year. Um you know he's he's taking he's i won't say that he's cleaned up his shot profile um but he's shooting 40 percent from three-point range um you know he's been a liability on defense before this year but he's been good defensively uh he was carrying a second unit offensively um you know he's he's you know he's he's been good like he's been he's been legitimately good so you know he's been blocking shots like it's been going like i've i've been nothing but impressed uh with with what he's been able to do uh this season yeah wiggins weak side shot blocker has been really valuable for golden state because uh james wiseman has been look i don't want to like clown james wiseman because for the most part i think it's been positive for a kid that's like 19 years old adjusting to the nba for the first time he's been good on offense like his ability to run the floor has really opened up the three-point line in transition for steph curry but he's like for the most part pretty clueless out there in terms of where he needs to be in drop coverage which is fine because playing in the nba is exceptionally hard but andrew wiggins being there to clean up is again not something that he's ever done in the past but is doing right now and has been pretty good so far uh at doing so so you know it's obvious that i think that that andrew is a he's responding to coaching um but he's bought into to the system and that's not hard to do i mean you're gonna buy in when like stephen curry and draymond green's in your locker room because you know you're an all steph curry because steph curry is one of the best players of this generation and draymond green is just going to kick the shit out of you if you don't buy it so you know we, we sure that that's a guarantee given the kelly Oubre experience so far <laughs> but kelly's tried to buy in like they told kelly okay shoot threes dunk the basketball spot up he just hasn't been very good at it yeah that's fair but- so he's bought into the scheme but he's like because i mean and in in phoenix i mean what's kelly Oubre doing in phoenix you know one read dribble go yeah like he's got to make reads in golden state and that that part hasn't gone well at all no no it has not it has gone oh bad oh boy they're they're gonna have to get off that deal uh at some point here because it's bad how it's only one year it's not going to be that hard someone will take kelly Oubre. they'll use him as salary matching like in an upgrade of some sort trade deadline is going to be interesting we should pod during the trade deadline i'm in I'm a hundred percent in. Um, I've got a new entrance to to the Nick Batum All Stars. Here we go. Let's do it. I'm not. 
I'm not sure that he qualifies, but but man, Gordon Hayward's been playing at a at at, at an all star level. Gordon Hayward qualifies because everyone clowned that contract coming into the year. Uh, anyone who listens to this podcast will tell you that I did not think that was that bad of a contract. I didn't understand why people like just totally outright dismissed it at the time because you're Charlotte. Like, would you rather spend the extra $5 million a year on Gordon Hayward? Or would you rather have the extra 5 million in cap space to go out and sign, you know, X $20 million player plus, you know, X $5 million player. Like, no, you're the way that you help your roster and the way that you help Lonzo ball or not Lonzo. I'm sorry. LaMelo ball. Uh, and PJ Washington and Miles Bridges and Devontae Graham, the way that you help those guys develop is by going to get Gordon Hayward, who can fill like eight different roles on your team while also being a secondary slash even at times primary playmaker. And he can also take pressure off of your team by stepping into the lead role. Gordon Hayward's 100% a Nick Batum all-star, I think. Okay, so here's some numbers on the kind of season that Gordon is having. Uh, he's shooting 43.5% from three-point range. He's shooting 55% on twos, 86% from the line. All three would be career highs if he maintains this pace. He's scoring 33.2 points per 100 possessions. Uh, he's got a 21 PER. That's the second highest of his career. Like, I never thought that he would go back to 2016 2017 gordon hayward where he was basically 23 5 and 5 all season and he's gone back to he's gone back to that yep in every way he's been a star he i think he's like a hundred percent an all-star in the east right oh he's gotta be like there's 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 no there's no way like you've got ben simmons and joel Embiid for sure you've got the three brooklyn guys You've got Tatum and Jalen Brown. You've got probably Trey Young will make it. Probably Bradley Beal will make it. So that's nine. Bam Adebayo's ten because holy shit has Bam been good this year. I think we're at ten, and I think that you need next, five more. I think that Gordon Hayward. Do you yeah. need five more or two more? Do they extend Did we, it this year? Oh uh, wait a minute. No, I'm sorry. You need two more. So yeah. Gordon, oh, did we no, mention still, Julius Randle? Well, I still don't have Giannis in uh, Middleton, so that's 12. So maybe Gordon Hayward's not an all-star this year. It's going to be tough. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are we for sure putting Chris Middleton over Gordon Hayward? Chris Middleton's been really good. He's been really I mean, good. I, I, okay. I mean, Middleton's <clears throat> 21 points on 51, 44, 93. Why is everybody shooting so – why is everybody shooting 50, 40, 90 this year? Well, I think that a part of it is because defenses probably aren't quite there in terms of continuity yet. There's been a lot of roster turnover, plus there hasn't been as much practice time as there was like during training camps in prior year. That's kind of my hypothesis on why star players are shooting as well as they are. And, you know, is the lack of crowd, is that helping? It could. It absolutely could be helping. Um, it's hard because there are so many different variables, but... That, that could be a reason. Yeah. Yeah. I, just I would think, say it's going to be tough for Hayward. Hayward's going to be close. And then we have like Zach Levine, by the way, who's averaging like a billion points in Chicago. But I mean, Charlotte's in playoff position, right? 
Uh, they're like nine and eleven. I, I mean, like they might be like eighth or so in the east but i I don't know that we need to go as far as we need to definitely get charlotte an all-star because they're in the playoffs when they're nine and eleven charlotte is eighth currently yeah i was gonna say but they are nine but they are nine eleven but they have won two straight and one of those was over milwaukee yeah yeah do you know who won that game for them (laughs) lamello Holy my, shit. My guy, well, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm doing victory laps all over the NBA. I just want to let you know that right now. Because I was the one that told y'all LaMelo was going to be great. <laughs> I th- here's the thing, Tony. I think that, like, if, it, God, it felt like most NBA draft, like, public people had LaMelo at number one. Right? Like, it felt that way to me. I certainly had him there. Like, I had him there, like, pretty clearly. I mean, I, I just don't get taking Anthony Edwards over him, but... You know, that's a conversation for another time, probably. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, like, we, you know, a lot of us had ha- LaMelo. Well, I guess, like, here's the... Maybe Gordon Hayward is not an all-star. It, it's going to be... He is going to be in the mix, though, is maybe the way to put it. He'll be in the mix with Zach Levine, with... I think that I probably would take Middleton, like, solidly over him right now. Uh, and, like... One guy we haven't talked about is Russell Westbrook here. Uh, and Russ is averaging like 19.9 and 9 again. But I don't think Russ... Do you think there's really a case for Russ to be an all-star this year? There is no case for Russ to be an all... Despite his his game uh, against Brooklyn on Sunday night. Yeah, I mean, like, after that game, Russ is going to be averaging, what, probably 20.10 and 9? Something like that. That's crazy. And I, I don't know that there's a case. His, his advanced metrics are not kind. They're bad. They're very bad. And that team is 4-12. and 12. No way we can give a 4-12 and 12 team two All-Stars. And if I'm picking one of the two, I'm picking Bradley Beal. Are we giving them one All-Star? 4-12 and 12 is 4-12. and 12. I, I am giving them Bradley Beal because Bradley Beal is averaging 36 points a game. They currently have the worst record in the NBA. Yeah, I get it. I don't think it's Brad's fault. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just playing devil's advocate. I get it. I do. Um, can't can't get there. Also, like another guy that's going to be in this mix is Tobias Harris too, and he's another guy that like maybe a a, a uh, maybe maybe a Nick Batum All Star honorable mention for Tobias Harris. I, I don't think Tobias was that bad last year, though. He wasn't, but he was getting shit from people because of the playoff performances and because of the contract. Well, because of his contract. Right. But I don't think he was that bad. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think he's on the team. I think he's like a – he's, he's an honorable here, Here's the thing. Here's the thing with Philly. I think it was very obvious from early in the season last year that – yeah, and and I love Brett Brown, but it was very obvious that his he he was running his course. Yeah, um, and it's not because of anything he did schematically. It's just because I think it was pretty obvious that he was being tuned out. Yep, and um, one of the reasons why I thought uh, um, one of the reasons why I thought that Philly was going to be um, improved this year is because you know doc rivers i knew doc rivers would command uh instant respect from the two players that mattered 
which is Ben Simmons and, and Joel Embiid. And he has. And that meant that there was going to be a trickle down effect that meant, you know, everybody was going to that everybody was going to play well. Um, and, you know, and that also means Tobias Harris. So, you know, I didn't think that I didn't well, think that he was bad last year. And here's but the I thing mean, with Tobias, too. Like, Doc Rivers got more out of Tobias Harris in Los Angeles than anyone ever has. Right. So. And right now, he's oh, he's been really good. 20 points a game. Yep. Seven rebounds a game. Three assists a game. A steal a game. 18.57 uh, PER. Good Lord. He's been really good. Tobias has been great. He's been super useful for Philadelphia. Uh, as, like... A sneaky thing that's been happening with Philly is that, and I don't even know that it's sneaky. Like I feel like it's like a real thing that people have been noting uh, that Ben Simmons has not been very good on offense this year. Unfortunately, uh, his I don't want to say he's taken a step back, but he's stagnated essentially on offense. Like he's at least uh, I think he's made two threes if I remember correctly this year, maybe one three. Um, but the rest of his game, in terms of like figuring out how to get past guys in half court settings, it just hasn't hasn't taken that step like we want it to, unfortunately. So he he's still just like an all around offensive threat guy, despite the fact that Seth Curry is there and just lighting the world on fire from beyond the three point line every single time he's on the court. Seth Curry is shooting fifty one percent from three point range this season. I'll be honest. I don't have the numbers up. I'm surprised it's that low. (laughs) Tobias Harris is. It feels like Tobias Harris is shooting. Oh my God. I I seriously, it feels like every time I watch them, he's shooting 75% from three. Seth Curry. Tobias Harris is shooting 47% from three. Yeah. He's been ridiculous too. Joel Embiid is shooting 40% from three. So the Sixers have this much offensive space and Ben Simmons is like still basically kind of the same guy on offense. Ben Simmons is shooting 16.7% from three. Yeah. He's taken like five of them though. Right. Well, six, cause that 16.7 would be probably 16.6666 repeating. Yeah. Which would be 16, one of six. So, or maybe there's no way he's taken 12, right? It wouldn't be two of 12. No, he is one of six. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, like it's Philly's interesting. Philly's really good. I should talk about Philly at some point more regularly, but uh, Philly has been great this year and it's been really fun to track. Uh, two other guys that like fit the star category of the Nick Batum all-stars. John Wall, I feel like was just written off because of the injury. Like I, I did not expect John Wall to look as good as he has this year. Like, well, I, he's gotten he's gotten all of his athleticism back, which is ridiculous. See, I don't even know if that's the case. Like, I don't even know. John Wall was like freaky, man, like freaky. But like, he still looks athletic now, and that was a concern coming back from the Achilles. Would he look athletic? He still looks athletic, and that's the important part for Houston, right? Like, is he is he still one of the three fastest human beings in the NBA? Probably not, but but he's one of one of the ten fastest human beings in the NBA. He might be one of the ten. Yeah, like De'Aaron Fox is probably up there. Who else? Colin Sexton's probably up there. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Fastest guys. Maybe John Wall's a little higher than I thought he was before I get to him. I mean, he's even this version. Let, 
listen, he's he's still really, 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 really fast. Like, super fast. I'm surprised that Houston is as good as it is without Harden. I kind of thought that this thing would fall off a cliff, and it just has not with Steven Silas. They've done great. Well, you have, from your coach on down to the last player on the roster, you have a bunch of prideful, scrappy, tough dudes. Just tough dudes. And they, they've all come up from the mud. Um, I mean, just go down this list. You know, John Wall, written off. Victor Oladipo, written off somewhat after the, after the injury. Um, Christian Wood, you know better than anybody. He was written off during a draft. Written off um, by five different teams during his career. There were, there were multiple teams that had him on their no draft list. I know that for a fact. Um, I mean, if you remember, Christian Wood going into his draft year, like when he declared for the draft, was a top 20 pick. Mm-hmm. And he went undrafted. And he went undrafted. Yeah. So, And I, I think he, he would even tell you, like I think he's said it before, that like it took him some time because like he was maturing still. Uh, P.J. Tucker, you know, tough dude, written off early in his career. Uh, Jay Sean Tate had to go overseas before he came back to the league. P.J. did Always too, a tough dude. P.J. did too. Jay Sean Tate was one of the toughest dudes in the Big Ten. One of the most skilled dudes in the Big Ten. Didn't get drafted. Um, like, I mean, just up and down that roster, Boogie Cousins, Achilles, Achilles tear written off. Um, I mean, so Mason Jones, the craziest goddamn story on this roster. Yeah. Kenya <laughs> Martin Jr. Mason like. <laughs> Jones, Mason Jones was not playing high school basketball until his senior year because he didn't want to follow in the footsteps of his two older siblings that were McDonald's All-Americans. Yep. I mean, and he it, goes within three years and becomes the SEC player of the year. You know, my, you know, and then, you know, Kenyon Martin Jr. Who's, you know, I, I can't imagine that he wouldn't have to fight for everything he had in that family. Yeah. Broderick yeah. Thomas is a Truman state D two D two or NAIA. I can't remember. Um, two-way contract guy who like earned his way into a two-way deal you know who would have thought that mason jones would be better than matt i know right (laughs) like that's my thing you know matt matt jones we all thought matt jones was going to be a lottery pick at one point yeah matt was matt a little bit before my time he was probably like right when i started doing pre-draft stuff um matt jones probably would have been when did he graduate 2016 maybe yeah around there the the luster had come off by 2016 like he it was clear that like he was not a uh nba prospect by the time his senior year rolled around but like his freshman and sophomore years people were excited i do remember that right no i mean so you know the the gist of the whole thing is that houston's got an entire roster of people with something to prove houston is the nick batum all-stars yeah and that's that's the most that's the 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 that that team is like the most dangerous team like they're like they're not going to win a championship i don't think they're going to make the playoffs to be honest i think they can make the playoffs they can. Don't get me wrong. Like they absolutely can make the playoffs. I don't think they will make the playoffs. 
I think that at some point the high of losing or like essentially being told you're not wanted by James Harden will wear off and they'll come back down to earth a little bit. I do think that the way they play is going to help them win some games. It will. You know, they're a top five defense right now. Right. They exclusively switch everything. That's 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 tough. And they have the personnel to do it. It's hard to find centers who are mobile enough to switch, and Christian Wood is at least mobile enough to switch. Yes. The last star I wanted to talk about is DeMar DeRozan. Like, DeMar has been unbelievable this year. That's my dude. I'm so pro- I'm so happy for him, to be honest. Me too. Speak on DeMar DeRozan. Well, I mean, you know, he's he's a guy that I think NBA Twitter's turned turned his back on because he didn't shoot threes. And, you know, he made his lunch money uh in the mid-range and uh he's been he, you know, he's he's been a guy who um always played below the three-point line. Um and, you know, now he's shooting threes, he's become a playmaker. Um, I think it's a great story in terms of uh, how much he's been able to mesh with the younger guys on San Antonio's roster. Um, you know, he's become a leader. He's He was put in a situation that he did not ask to be in, and he's handled it so professionally with so much class. Um I just have a lot of respect for what he has been as as a human being. And, you know, I hope that one day he's back in a situation where he has a chance to win a championship. There might be no player in the NBA that I want to see win a championship more than DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan got traded for Kawhi Leonard after building essentially like the core, helping to build the core of that Toronto team that went on to win the title. Had to see his best friend win a title with Kyle Lowry. Just that had to be really difficult to watch if you're DeMar DeRozan. Like you have to be exceptionally pumped for your guys that were there and that won, but it had to be hard to just watch it. And this is a guy that like is, you, I mean, you would know this, even probably better than I do. Like, I've not heard anyone say a negative word about DeMar DeRozan. Have you? No, not at all. Like, universally considered a great person. Uh, He's really expanded his game as well. Like, it's not just about shooting. Like, he can... Look, I've been on the DeMar DeRozan is an underrated passer bandwagon for like five or six years now. And now he's averaging like seven assists a game and everyone's like, oh, hey, look, DeMar DeRozan can pass now. He's sneaky, been underrated, been able to pass for like the last five years, but didn't always do it. Um, He can now actually, he's passing for purpose now as much as anything. And it's impressive to watch. Like you said, like he's really meshed well with DeJounte Murray and Keldon Johnson has been, Keldon Johnson's quickly becoming one of my favorite players in the Oh, I love Keldon. I love He's him a so bucket, much. man. You first of all, you it's 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 hard to do, but good gracious, it seems like San Antonio is hit on every one of these late draft picks. Um, Dejounte Murray, he's been a hit. Keldon Johnson, he's been a hit. Yep. Lonnie Walker the fourth, he's been a hit. Yep, and. Um, the one that I think is probably going to be a miss, to, a miss is Samanich. Yes. I don't think he looks very good. Um, and he was really bad in the G League last year, too. Uh, he's still only like 20, I believe. But yes, that one could be the miss. But 
like even Jakob Pertl, who they didn't draft, like they evaluated him well to go and get him from Toronto, and he's pretty good now. Uh, he's a very good defensive player. Devin Vassell is like already a clear hit for them. He's very Devin good Vassell is already a clear hit. Clear hit. Yeah. <laughs> Not even, oh, he might be a hit. No, he's he's a hit. Yeah. Uh, and the Spurs I, development way, is just crazy. I think Trey Jones is going to be a hit too. I'm continuing to go to bat for Trey Jones. I will. His, his PR is 20 right now. He's got the second best. Now, immediately, this is. This is small sample size, but he's got the second best PER so far. Has he played fifty minutes yet? I don't. No, not I would yet. bet you he has not played fifty minutes. Not he has not. Okay, um, but he's but he's been good he, in limited he, minutes. But from Derek White to to Dejounte Murray to Keldon Johnson uh, to Devin Vassell, um, all of these guys have developed, which tells me a lot about Trey Lyles because he has not developed. Okay. <laughs> Trey Lyles, um, oh boy, uh, Trey has not gotten any better in his time in San Antonio. You know, but all of these guys are, are developing. Even and Demar's becoming a better player. Um, um, nineteen, nineteen a game, seven assists, six to seven assists a game, twenty-two per. Started all eighteen games. Um, he's shooting thirty-seven percent from three, and he's shooting two a game, eighty-nine percent from the line shooting 50% from twos. You know, he's he's you know, he's he's just been terrific. He really has. The last guy I want to bring up here on the Nick Batum All-Stars podcast. I just want to shout out Kevin Knox. Like there there is no player that I might have written off more in the NBA than Kevin Knox. Uh Kevin Knox has looked solid so far for the Knicks. He still can't do anything inside the arc. But he can shoot a little bit, and he's a clear rotation player for a team that is, like, not terrible in New York. Your New York Knicks are not a disaster, Tony. Not so far. I still want Cade Cunningham. Well, everyone wants Cade, because Cade is, uh, Cade is I, I, legit. I want Cade, for sure. There's no player... Like, you've watched a lot of college basketball, I assume, this year, right? Like, Cade Cunningham is, like, very clearly the number one pick for you, right? Yes. Not even close. Yeah, not even close. I, I can't fathom anyone else like get it like being in this conversation right now. Um, like we could talk about Evan Mobley, but Evan Mobley is not in this conversation. I'm I'm hearing Jonathan Kuminga's name a lot. Yeah, Kuminga. So I, I got asked by a um, friend who works for a company that has an interest in these things uh what would my odds for the number one overall pick be right now and i said Cade at one to one and i don't think that that will change he might even get lower odds like he might be talking like one to two one to three uh by the end of the season and then i said by the end of the year kumingo will probably be the second highest odds because i think he's going to end up having the best numbers in the g league among like the ignite guys and i think he's gonna end up with like 20 and 8 and teams might look at like oh my god like he's producing in the g league and think like that's a that's a real thing you know what i mean right well i think what you look at with him is that i mean this league is lebron's league this is um, you know, this is LeBron's league. This is Kevin Durant's league. This is, you know, Luka Doncic's league, right? So, yeah. 
um, the guys that can defend those guys, those are the guys that get drafted really high. So when you're 6'8", you have a 7-foot wingspan, you're an explosive athlete, um, Kaminga plays above the rim um, in ways that you know a lot of people can't contest. Um, and he's a fluid athlete, and he has an NBA body. You know, so when, you know, you take all of that, it's the reason that Patrick Williams went fourth. You know, we saw that yeah. coming. You know, we talked about that. We saw that coming in in the months leading up to the draft. We were like, guess what? Somebody's going to take Patrick Williams really, really high <laughs> yeah. because Patrick Williams has a pro body, like right away. And, you know, and and I think the same thing about Kaminga and and and. I think Kaminga's uh, a better prospect than Patrick Williams at the same age, you know, without question. Oh, very clearly. Yeah, very so, clearly. So, you know, I I, I think I, I would say that if I had to go with my top five in order, it's probably going to be um, K1, Jonathan 2, Evan Mobley 3, Jalen Sucks 4, and Jalen Green 5. Yeah, I, I'd still just have Kaminga at 4 until we see him in the G League. But yeah, totally understand. Yeah, I think those are your five guys. I think all five of those guys would go ahead of Anthony Edwards right now. Uh, but Lamella would go b- above one of those five guys. Yeah, look, I mean, <laughs> I can only go off of what the Minnesota Timberwolves decided to do. <laughs> Listen, man. I'm going to be on that. Listen, I'm going to be taking victory laps around the lap all season. Keep keep it going. Do you have a Do you have any underrated NBA prospects that you like this year? Any guys that you're like, no one's talking about this guy. Talk about this guy. How many people are talking about David Duke? Uh, we talked about David Duke a little bit on the last podcast. Me and Matt Penny. Uh, we have on the last couple. I get it. I don't know how well it's going to translate. Oh uh, well, the size translates. It does. He's like six five, and like and he's a point guard, and he's a defender. Really good defender. Really good defender. Is he a point? Um, he's a point guard in a way where if you have a, a nice playmaking small forward, you can put him there. Fair. Do you buy the jump shot? I'm not sure I buy the form. Right. But, I mean, you can't argue with the percentages. Oh, he's been 42.5% uh, over his last 200 attempts. I mean, that's hard. Clearly as touch. I can't quite get there on the form because i think that as you move up levels it's just way harder to get off those like borderline set shots like he kind of has yeah i think it's gonna be tough and then he doesn't finish inside at all like can't finish inside and he's do not you, if you're him do you passer. do you go back to providence for one more year he's already old oh that's a good question um i see where the rest of the season goes i don't think it's a guarantee that i would come out so. okay this I'm gonna say this guy's name, and this is my f- this might be my favorite prospect for the Jazz right now. Okay, Jared Butler. Yeah, Butler looks great. Uh, I think he looks awesome. Talent wise, like I think very clearly like a late first round pick. I mean, what do you think? Um, just a great defender can play both backcourt spots. Tremendous, tremendous shooter. Um, tremendous NBA body veteran uh mature i uh, i you know 
him and Davion Mitchell, I think the world of. I think both both of those guys are really good. Yeah, I like Davion too. Uh, I, I think both of those guys are really good calls. You have you have any other NBA prospects you want to speak about before we get out of here? Can uh, one more? Can I just profess my love for Corey Kispert? Uh, where where do you think I have Kispert on my board right now? I'm pretty sure me and you are kindred spirits, so I think you have him somewhere top fifteen. I have him at like seven or eight. <laughs> <laughs> I knew, I knew, I knew that you would like that. I knew that you would like my Corey Kispert call. I'm sorry. It's, I knew that you would like that. It's just like too easy of a fit at the next level. Like there's, he's like Kyle Corver on steroids. Well, yeah. Like there's a lot of Joe Harris here. Like everything that Joe Harris was is Corey Kispert. He's improved every year. He's yeah. the best shooter in the draft. Yep. He's got a quick release. He's yep. an elite floor spacer. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, he can actually attack a closeout. And he's six foot seven. And he's six Un- foot seven. Underrated athlete. Like And he doesn't has- give a sh- and he doesn't give a shit on the floor. That's that's what I love about him. Like he legitimately he legitimately doesn't give a shit. He's gonna go after you. Yeah. Does not care. And also like simultaneously like doesn't care about the number of shots he gets to like if he gets a game where he has six shots like yeah that shouldn't happen because he's probably i mean look uh, i don't know like is he or luca garza the best offensive player in college basketball like you could sell me one way or another right um most people i think probably will say luca just because he's so dominant inside and creates as many shots as he does but fuck man Corey Kispert's about to average 20 points a game, and there is a chance that he goes 60, 50, 90. Yes, he's phenomenal. He might go 60, 50, 90. We talk about like 180 shooters, like 50, 40, 90 guys, like they mean something. He might go, he might be the first 200 shooter in college basketball. He's just phenomenal. He, and he, and he, and he's, he's an elite fit for this game for the nba yeah yeah. it's just so simple like just take Corey kispert please ayayi has been really good for them too i probably have not talked about joel ayayi enough uh he's been he's gotten way way better defensively to the point where like he's really really good now i like Jaden springer i'm another guy where i'm a little bit worried about the fit as much as anything but i like how tough he is like he very clearly is super tough uh has athleticism that i think doesn't quite bear itself out on the court as much as it could at some point like he is do you remember like how much donovan mitchell from his first year at louisville have you watched i didn't start watching donovan until year two so when donovan was a was a freshman he did a similar thing to Jaden, where he'd take off off of two feet every time like he'd load up yeah. off of two feet jump and try to like finish up through guys and now he's like figured out okay i have to go around guys like i'm six three and have a seven foot wingspan and i'm a great jumper but i still can't go through guys because i'm just not big enough Jaden needs to figure that out uh if he does i'm very interested if he doesn't we'll see right so where are you on sharif cooper because all right so all right i'm sorry i, I want to ask if, you that because i don't know like i'll be honest i'm not sure okay so he he's um he's like trey young where in the sense that man, it's going to be really, really, really hard for him to defend to defend anybody at the NBA level. 
by anyone. Yep. And Trey Young gets away with it because he averages 28 and 8. <laughs> um, and he's got to learn, and he's his jump shot needs a lot of work. Yep. But he's a point A to point B guy, and there's just not a lot of those guys around. I think he's an elite ball handler and an elite live dribble passer. Elite. Yes. Elite. I don't think that you can quite have enough effectiveness at his size without at least the threat of a jumper. Like, I think that the best you can do without the threat of the jumper at six foot or whatever he is and not playing defense. He's not six foot. I mean, he's listed at six one. I was even going underneath. You might be right that he's under six foot tall. But, like, there's a lot of, like, Ish Smith there to me. And, like, people are going to think that that's, like, super negative, but, like... No, that's positive. But Ish realized how to play at his size where... Like, Ish is like, okay, I can't shoot. I'm not going to be able to defend. But what I am is one of the fastest dudes in the league. I'm going to get an elite shape. That's what people don't realize about Ish Smith. Ish Smith is in better shape than everybody. He can run all day. (laughs) And that's the kind of shape, like, you have to be in that size. You have to be the Energizer Bunny. And Ish has maximized every strength that he has and he's still a change of pace point guard in the NBA. Right. You could put him on the floor for 20 minutes a night. Right. So I want to, like, if Sharif Cooper shoots, he's going to be a starting NBA point guard. Like, no questions in my mind. If he doesn't shoot, he's probably something like Ish Smith. And Ish Smith is, like, worth an early second round pick. There's just not a lot of ball handlers on his level yeah. in the world. No, he's one of probably the 15 best like ball handler live dribble passer like combinations on planet earth agreed which is like i like people like melt down when i say that about non-nba players but look at Lamelo ball like i said Lamelo ball is one of the 10 best live dribble passers like on planet earth well the reason why i thought Lamelo was going to be so good was because uh he's he's an elite pick and roll player right right and Lamelo's shown that so far. Um, yeah. So the same thing about Trey Young. Like Trey Young, elite level passer from day one in the NBA. It's accurate. Sharif Cooper has a lot of those same properties, but he's very small and it's very difficult to play at that size in the NBA if you can't shoot. Having like I would take him at like eighteen in this draft, fifteen, something like that. Like I I, I wouldn't. I don't know. It's tough. like I might even take him higher. I might take him at like ten. I think that's where Penny and I ended up with him was like right around like 10 or 11 on the mock draft podcast. That's interesting. Cause the and Ron Har- so high Ron Harper jr. I like him. I mean, I wrote about him early in the season. What do you think? Remember Mark Karcher? That's not a name. I know this is, uh, this is where you being older than me. Uh, oh, uh, that's right. I'm 40. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is where you uh, you're going to be able to just like throw out names at me and I'm going to be like, yeah, I, look, I was born in Mar- 1990. <laughs> oh, my God. Were you really born in 1990? Born in 1990. I'm 30. Like, I'm not that young, but like, yeah. Jesus Christ. I was born in 1978. <laughs> uh Mark Carter. Uh, oh, this is this is Philly. Okay, here we go. This is yeah. this is your wheelhouse. Yes, Mark Carter was um, six 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 um, two two forty five. 
um, just one of the best under the rim scores that that I've ever that that I've ever seen or or been on a floor been on a basketball court with. Um, and that's that's who that's who Ron Harper. He's he's more athletic. Um, he's in he's in better shape. Um, Mark didn't play in the league because not because of his skill level, but because he just just, just didn't get in great shape. Um, but he's you know he's he's a f- you know phenomenal scorer. And that's that's one of the reasons why I like Ron Harper Jr. Karcher went 48th overall in the 2000 NBA draft. Yes, love it, love it. We're we're digging deep right now. But he, you know, same body type. They have a his wicked. His Wikipedia, Wikipedia says, "Yeah, that, that's that's not true." Go go look, <laughs> go look at go look at the Google and go look at the Mark Carter images. <laughs> I was just looking at that. I was like two fifteen. Hold on, let uh, me look. This guy, this guy looks more like Marcus Pfizer than <laughs> he looks two fifteen. Yeah, he was not two. Yeah, he's not two fifteen. Oh my god! But yeah, that that's. That's 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 Ron Harper Jr. to me. I think Ron. What did, I don't know. If, I don't know if Mark Archer could shoot because again, uh, no, Mark Archer he could shoot. He, he could shoot. Now what he now the difference is Ron Harper is a, a real athlete at his size. I don't know if I go that far, but he's he gets off the ground. Athlete. He gets off the ground. Yeah, but like it's not there laterally, which is more important for a guy right. like him. That's true. Like I, I, uh, I, I, it would be interesting to me to see what Ron will do. He's young for he's not that old. Like he's a third year player. I think he just turned twenty. Ron Harper Jr. So there's still time. Like if he would come back, would get to like six six two thirty and had like a little bit more quickness, I think he'd probably be a first round pick. So you want him to go back for his senior year? I might want him to go back. I mean, look, if I was an NBA team, I would probably tell him, like, Ron, if you come out, we will give you a two-way, like 100%. By the way, I'm willing to concede that um, my Georgetown Hoyas do not currently have an NBA yeah, uh, you, prospect what were you in doing? their program. This was, this was a conversation Tony and I had over text message, like, after their second game. Who was I? Uh, who did? It's cutest for Hobb. Waha. Who, uh, who did Georgetown play early in the season? Oh, uh, we played somebody, and I was like, Q's going to be in the league. And you were like, No, he's not. Stop <laughs> bothering me with this. <laughs> it was it was Villanova, and they were um, they were playing Jeremiah Robinson Earl, I think. And <laughs> I was just like, Oh, no. No. And it was because Cutis like drove from the free throw line and like blew by Jeremiah Robinson Earl, I think it was. And I was like, this is what worries me about JRE. And you're just like, And I was like, no, what I was like, well, Q's gonna be in the league, and you were like, What? <laughs> no. <laughs> My 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 blue and gray bias may have gotten to me a little a bit little in that bit? text message conversation. <laughs> a little bit, but I'm I'm listen. I'm here's my mea culpa. I'm willing to admit that there is not currently an NBA player. Now next year when Aminu Muhammad gets there, that might yeah, be they different. Have some guys, they have some guys coming. Be good. 
you know, and if Jordan Riley pans out, hopefully, I'm just listen. Not we're four and eight right now, Sam. It's bad. There's nothing left but next year. It's it's bad. Uh, things are bad for Georgetown. Do we we think Ewing like is still their coach next year, right? Oh yeah, he just bought in a top ten class. He's not going anywhere. Yeah. Now I think now I do think he has to win next year. Yeah. I think or I think he has to at least make some progress, but. I mean, when you bring, I mean, he's, you know, he's bringing in Muhammad, who's, are they going to have the McDonald's All-American game? Who knows? We, you know, he's I could McDonald's honestly probably find that out, but I, I don't know. Like, in a, in a normal year, that's a McDonald's, that's a McDonald's kid. Sure. So, you know, you're bringing in a top 10 class. So, that kind of saves jobs. Go get freshman or to go get tra- grad transfers that's what they need to do yeah we got a grad transfer and he can't play i'm sorry two of them neither one of them can play sorry who's the other three one of them get? who's the other, who'd they get no we got chudy a bile from like northeast louisiana or somewhere and we got the uh the kid from arkansas uh, uh jalen harris, harris yeah, kids that, that he's not very good he's not good no he's he has no business playing in the big east um and we had the uh the kid from Siena, Don Carey, the shooter. He's and he's been okay. At least like a big East player. He's a big East player. He's a good shooter. You know, but he's like, you know, your fifth or sixth best player on the roster. He's like the third best player on this roster. Yeah. Do they have do they have him for an extra year? Because like he's again, like I think he's actually like fine. He's supposed I mean, he has another year of eligibility, but the speculation is that he and Jamarco Pickett best friends that's the reason why i picked georgetown and jamarco's gonna be out of eligibility so well, they, all, they all have eligibility to go back right because they all get their year back right right so um but i mean you know i mean following the whole mac speaking of that is mac mcclung a pro for you yet um not really but i'm a lot more interested than i was when he declared for the draft last year well he'll definitely go to the draft this year will he i would i would think so i don't i didn't say he would get drafted i'd say he definitely goes he'd he'd still just be like a borderline top 100 guy for me if he goes because he's still not a like passer playmaker like he needs to be able to be a point guard and he's not a point guard Right. It would actually like really help him, I think, to go back and play for them again. No, I agree with you. Definitely agree with you. They'll be good next year too. They're going to be good every year because Chris Beard's really good. But like, they'll be good again next year. <sighs> Chris is really good. Yeah. All right, Tony. Let's get out of here. Tell the people you've got going on. Tell the people where they can find your work. Well, you can find me at the Athletic, and you can find me at Twitter on T Jones on the NBA. And um, you know, thanks again for Sam. For having me on another one of our marathon pods where we just talk about everything. Well, there's, and, uh, there's uh, too much to you know, talk about with you. Well, we always let a lot of time go by. So That's when true. we do get on, it's like, okay, we got so much to catch up on. That's true. And we didn't even go as deep as we could have on the draft, guys. We probably could do that more. Well, we, well, we got to do a draft pod soon. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk about draft prospects soon. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe. I have some written words with beat writers uh, coming up this week. And then officially, I can tell you that uh, I think that the next week, so not February 1st, February 8th, is going to be when the uh, updated NBA draft prospect ranking series comes out. We'll do organizational rankings. We'll do... 
uh, overall prospect rankings, top 50 prospects in the NBA. That will be the following week, uh, not this coming week. But until next time, we'll talk soon.